I want everyone to take your left hand, put it in front of your face, and breathe out. Guess what that means? You got to praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Is that not true? Amen. We need to be a people who praise the Lord, for He is so, so good. And uh, last week, you didn't realize this, but do you believe that God's mission to seek and save the lost is still going? Wow. You have so convinced me that you believe it. Well, I'll let God convince you. But praise God, the 11 o'clock service heard last week after the 9 a.m. service, there was a young couple that God brought to Calvary Baptist Church about four weeks ago. No one invited them. God drew them here, and last Sunday morning, they both received Jesus Christ after the 9 a.m. service. Amen? God is on mission, and we need to praise Him for that. Here's what I'd like us to do while we go through this series. You know, we'll see each other on Sunday and then sometimes in our DCs or midweek. But there's a lot that God is doing in your life and in your circle of influence that I'm not aware of, we're not aware of during the time between Sunday and Sunday. So here's what I'd like us to do. I want us to become a family that shares more information with each other. And so what I'd like you to do is as God is using you as a witness as a spirit-empowered witness, as a minister of reconciliation, and as things happen during the week where you're like, wow, I can't believe what God just allowed me to be a part of. I can't believe that God allowed me to have that conversation with my relative or with my neighbor. Let's start sharing that information so that we can celebrate, spur one another on that God is at work, but not only that, so that we can pray for whoever God is using you as a minister of reconciliation to reach in your circle of influence. So here's what I'd like you to do. Send it for now to my email, okay? And then on Tuesday mornings, we meet as a ministry team, and we want to praise and we want to pray for the situations that you are directly involved in as a spirit-empowered witness. Amen? So don't keep it quiet. Let's talk. Let's get the chatter going so that he can be praised and so that we can pray for one another. So with that in mind, how was your week, Spirit-empowered witnesses? Did you obey God's command to engage in His mission of seeking and saving the lost? I trust you did. God is at work. Last week, we kicked off our fall sermon series called Mission Possible. And we celebrated together the foundation, foundational reality of our faith that Jesus is alive. He is alive and His mission to seek and save the lost continues and it continues through us, through the church. What a privilege and what a great responsibility to be involved in that mission. Well, this morning we're going to look at God's sovereignty over His mission and our responsibility as Spirit-empowered witnesses to make what I'm calling missional decisions. Missional decisions, you might say, what do you mean by missional decisions? Missional living is a Christian term in essence that describes living your life daily in a missionary lifestyle. We have a mission because Jesus has a mission. Therefore, we take every area of our lives and we focus it around that mission that he's gave, given to us as agents of his good news to the world, including how we make decisions, missional decisions. Therefore, as I was thinking about this week, there's actually two things we all share in common. Doesn't matter your age, 
Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your social economic level, doesn't matter your ethnicity. Every day, every one of us make a number of decisions, amen? And some of them can be very simple, like in terms of what to wear today. Or it could be, what should I pack for lunch today? That decision in my household has got a little bit more interesting. Now the decision I make prior to what I'm packing for lunch is, where am I going to hide what I want to eat for lunch tomorrow? <laughs> so that my family doesn't find it, because tape with names on it, I guess, doesn't mean anything in my household. <laughs> what am I going to take for lunch? Students, who am I going to hang out with this week? What am I going to watch on TV tonight? We all make many simple decisions during each day. But we also all make some more significant life decisions, don't we, that come up. Should I stay in the current situation I'm in or should I look for a new job? Well, I know the answer for that for me right now, right? What about should we stay continuing to rent or should we buy a new home? Should I consider going to this college or should I consider going to this university? Perhaps some of you are dealing with, wrestling with the decision, do we adopt children or do we not adopt children? How do we take care of aging parents? Some of you may be wrestling with the decision, should we pull up roots and go and serve overseas on the mission field as full-time missionaries? Every day we are all faced with many simple but also more significant life decisions that are continuous. The second thing we all share in common if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is we all long to know what God's will is in making those significant life decisions, don't we? We all long to know what His will is. And the good news is, which we're going to read about this morning, is that our Heavenly Father, who is sovereign over our lives, wants us to know His will. And He has many ways of revealing His will to us, as we will see in our passage this morning. We're going to talk about balancing God's sovereignty and our responsibility to make missional decisions. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We will read the first, uh, verse 15 to 26. Verse 15 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. 
show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. After Jesus ascended to heaven, we've just read his, his followers, his disciples were left with a significant decision to make. Who is going to replace Judas as the twelfth apostle? And Luke's account of how they discovered God's chosen replacement for Judas gives us helpful insight into how we can make missional decisions. I'm so grateful for our family ministries team yesterday. They made and invested in a missional decision to host a harvest festival on our parking lot for those who are part of the family, but also for those who are not part of the family and I just want to say thank you to our family ministry team. And thank you to all of you who gave of your time to support them to make a missional decision. To do something intentional to care for the flock and reach the lost. That's what it's about. So when trying to discern God's will, where do we begin? You'll be happy to know this sermon only has two points. And so the people in the nursery are going to love me this morning. Two points. So here's where we go. When trying to discern God's will, begin with what he has already revealed. Begin with what he has already revealed. And where do we discover that? We discover that in his written word. The scriptures which we have opened this morning. That is where we must begin. The word of God is truth. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 119 verse 160, All your words are true, and your righteous laws are eternal. Truth does not change. Aren't you thankful for that? There is so much in our world that is changing at such a rapid pace. But brothers and sisters, the truth of God's word never changes. It never changes. And its righteous laws are eternal. It endures forever. And in Psalms 119.105, we read that it is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And so we see in verse 16 that it's to the scriptures that Peter first directs the attention of the 120 gathered together that day for prayer and for fellowship. And during that time, Peter initiates a process for deciding who would replace Judas. And where does he start that process? The scriptures. Verse 16. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. As with the suffering and death of Jesus himself, the predictions in the Old Testament about Judas had also come to fulfillment. And I want to read this verse again. And I want you to think about the inspiration of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. 
This verse is one of the most clearest statements in Scripture regarding its inspiration by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke through David, and in particular through his writing. So why do we begin with what God has already revealed? Because we can trust the authority of God's Word. We can trust the authority of God's Word. It is and I pray that it is yours, your ultimate authority. Why? Because it is not of human origin, which is always changing. It is not of human origin, or is it the outcome of human will? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can trust the authority of God's Word. Though human authors like Luke were active in the process of writing scriptures, God the Holy Spirit superintended them, carried them along so that using their personalities, using their thought processes, using their vocabulary, they composed and recorded without error everything that God wanted included in His revealed written, written Word. The three eyes of scripture. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is inerrant without error in its original form. This is God's word. And in Titus, we know that God cannot lie. So it is without error. So because it is inspired and because it is inerrant without error, it is the third eye infallible. We can completely trust it. It is 100% trustworthy. That's why it must be where we begin to understand what God's will is related to a decision that we need to make. Often in making our decisions, I know for myself, my discernment and my judgment can be subjective because my discernment and judgment sometimes is influenced by how hungry I am. Maybe the mood that I'm in, my feelings, my opinions, what other people are thinking. That can affect my discernment and my judgment. But that is not the case with God's word. God's word is objective. It never changes. It stands alone and is trustworthy. Trust the authority of God's word as you begin a process of making a significant decision. Not only that, we can rely on God's word to interpret life. Trust the authority of God's word and rely on God's word to interpret life. You will notice that verse 18 and 19 in your Bibles, I presume like mine, are in parenthesis. And that's because Luke, in the middle of recording Peter's talk to the 120 who were gathered that day, he wanted to let Theophilus in on the full story regarding Judas's death. And we know from the only other account of Judas' death, recorded in Matthew chapter 27, that Judas, after seeing Jesus was condemned, was stricken with guilt. So he went back to the temple to return the 30 pieces of silver that he had been paid for betraying Jesus. And he went back to the temple and he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And he wanted to return the 30 pieces of silver. And the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders, they couldn't care less. 
They had got what they paid for and did not want to take it. So Judas, still filled with guilt, threw the coins on the temple floor. And then the scripture reads, he then went away from them and hung himself. And the chief priests and the elders, not knowing what to do with this money, and they knew they didn't want to put it in the treasury because it was blood money. So what did they do? They bought a field. They bought a field where outsiders, those who were unceremonially clean, could be buried. And then the text we read this morning, the, field of that, the name of that field was Akeldama, meaning field of blood. It was named field of blood after everyone in Jerusalem heard about Judas's death. And as I read that this week, I thought, how ironic. And what a warning for us. Judas, who at one time would have been considered on the inside, was buried in a field for outsiders. We must make sure that we truly know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and that we are followers of Him. And there's two things we need to understand. In Luke's account, it reads as if Judas bought the field he hung himself in. Look at verse 18. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. He didn't actually personally buy the field, if you read Matthew's account. So what's going on here? Luke is simply indicating that because the chief priests and elders bought the field with Judas's blood money, it was still as if Judas bought it. Secondly, please understand, Judas felt the sting of his own guilt. But we should not mistake this for genuine repentance. We will see as we continue in the book of Acts what genuine repentance looks like in the life of Saul who became Paul. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. But Judas' remorse was a different kind as demonstrated by the way he tragically took his own life. Although chosen by Jesus and one of the 12 who shared in the ministry as Luke records of the disciples, Judas was never a legitimate follower of Jesus Christ. How do we know this? This is why Jesus refers to him in John 17, 12 as the one doomed to destruction. So that scripture, there it is again, so that scripture would be fulfilled. He was chosen to fulfill God's plan of redemption as prophesied in the scriptures through David. Psalms 41, 19. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But let's never forget God's sovereignty does not remove human responsibility. God's sovereignty does not undermine or remove human responsibility. Though divinely determined and predicted, Judas, by his own choice, accepted the sorrow of Luke chapter 22, verse 22, where it says, Woe to the man who betrays him. And if you take a look at the second half of verse 25, to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And so verse 18 and 19, in the middle of recording Peter's speech, he just says, hey, Theophilus, I just want you to understand the full story behind what happened to Judas. And Peter, knowing that the disciples were probably still a little bit shocked and rattled and 
potentially confused about the fate of Judas, one who had been with them this whole time. In the mission of God, what does Peter do? He points them to Scripture. Begin with what God has already revealed. And he points them to Scripture to help them make sense, to interpret what they are witnessing, what they are experiencing. And if you look in verse 20, Peter quotes Psalms 69, 25, and 109, 8. He says to them, It is written in the book of Psalms. This is what God has already revealed. May this place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Peter is wanting his fellow disciples and those who were gathered there that day to understand that Judas' actions and his destiny had fulfilled Scripture. And so he applies the judgment on, wicked, on a wicked man as being repeated in his own day, having happened even more literally regarding the fate of Judas than in the case of David's enemies. And as the men in Psalm 69 and 108 rejected the friendship and blessing of King David, even more so had Judas rejected the friendship and blessing of King Jesus. And he shows this to them, to those gathered there in an effort to reassure them that Judas's betrayal of Christ leading to his own demise was all part of God's sovereign purposes. To do what? To bring salvation not only to Israel, but to all the nations. You remember the key verse last week, Psalms 1-8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In his context that day, about to make a significant decision, Peter relied on what God had already revealed in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 to help those gathered make sense of Judas's defection and what needed to now be done regarding the vacancy he left among the 12. The 12 had now become 11. And brothers and sisters, like the disciples, we too at times, you may be in one of those seasons right now, will struggle to comprehend the plan and the sovereignty of God in your life. And when you do, when I do, we need to, like Peter, begin with his written word, the scriptures. Trust the authority of God's word. Rely on it to interpret your life, this world, and the situations you are facing. In our decision-making, God wants us to give first priority and attention to what he has already revealed. What do you give attention to? when you begin the process of making a significant decision. God wants us to give priority to what he has already revealed. Because here's usually what happens. Too often we spend so much of our time and energy trying to discover God's concealed will while ignoring so much of his revealed will. We want to know what he hasn't given to us yet. And we get so focused on that that we neglect to pay attention to what he has already revealed to us. I thought about that in my own life. How arrogant is it of me when I ask him to guide me where to go, what decisions I need to make when at times I don't really do what he has asked of me to do. 
God, I need you to guide me. I have this major decision. I need to know your will. Help me to make the right choice. What college? What university? Who is it I am supposed to marry? And yet, we're not living a missionary lifestyle. We're not committing ourselves and longing to make disciples. We're not longing to love people who aren't lovable. We're not longing to bear fruit. We're not longing to remain faithful in our marriages or care for widows and orphans. The believers in Acts chapter 1 verse 15 to 26 demonstrated a confidence and an allegiance to the scriptures that ultimately made finding his concealed will relatively simple in the decision that they had to make. And so can I encourage myself and can I encourage you, prioritize knowing God's revealed will. Spend time in his word. I was convicted as I read Psalms 119 verses 10 to 16. I want to ask you, do you hide? Do you recount? Do you rejoice? Do you meditate? Do you delight and not neglect God's word? We need to hide it in our hearts. We need to recount his laws. We need to rejoice in his word. We need to meditate. We need to delight in it and not neglect God's word. Prioritize knowing what God's revealed will is. Begin with what God has already revealed. That's what Peter did. Now, we all know from personal experience that not all specific details or outworkings of God's will for our specific situation are necessarily recorded in Scripture. You're not going to open up and find have Captain Crunch instead of Frosted Flakes, right? It's just not going to happen. You're not necessarily going to find go to Ontario Tech University, not Indiana Wesleyan University. It's a lot cheaper, right? But you're not going to find these things in Scripture. We know that from personal experience. Not all the specific details of the outworkings of God's will for our specific situation are recorded in the Bible. That's the situation they were in. While the early believers knew they were supposed to fill Judas's place based on God's revealed will, they didn't know the name of the guy who was going to step into that role. So what did they do? They just sit there and wait for an audible voice. I can let you know I prayed for an audible voice during the journey this past year and a half that Jen and I were on. I didn't hear an audible voice. But I went through a process. And they went through a process. They needed to work through the process of seeking God to find out who it was to replace Judas. And their experience teaches us an important second principle. First, not only begin with what God has already revealed, but then secondly, discern what is concealed through what he has already revealed. So begin with what he's already revealed, his word. And then what isn't concealed, look at that through what he has already revealed. This is what they did. Jesus had made it clear through his words and his appointments that there were to be 12 apostles. He declared in his farewell discourse with his disciples in Luke 22 verse 30 that they will one day sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel at the renewal of all things when the Son of Man comes back and sits on his glorious throne. There were to be 12 apostles. So with Judas out, through his word... God directed them that, as we just read, Psalm 109, 8, another must take his place of leadership. 
They didn't sit there and wonder, do we need to replace him? I think the 11 of us could probably do this. He was just extra baggage, extra weight. No. What did they do? They went back to what God had already revealed. Another must take his place of leadership. And once they knew that, they got busy with this directive in mind. So what did they do? And I hope as we go through these steps, these will become helpful a model, a framework from which you can begin to discern what God has not revealed through what he has revealed. The first thing they did is they gathered all the pertinent information and made a list of options. That's what we did with our kids when they were selecting university. We didn't tell them where to go to university. I'm not God. I can give you counsel. You ask God where he wants you to go to university. Pray about it. Research. List the possibilities. What are the pros? What are the cons? This is what they did. They gathered the pertinent information and listed the possible options. And in verse 21 and 22, Peter outlines the qualifications, the pertinent information for the replacement apostle. Look there in verse 21. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men, here's qualifications, who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Though the office of apostle involved authority and leadership, as Jesus had told him, especially in regarding the future, the one who fills this position right now to replace Judas is to do the service of apostleship. They were to be servants of God's word for the benefit of God's people. Jesus instituted the formal office in order to appoint some men that would then be sent out to proclaim the gospel with supernatural power and their role was crucial in the immediate advancement of the gospel after Jesus ascended to the Father. This is why the replacement had to be an eyewitness. Had to be someone who had observed Jesus' life from the time of John's baptism and his ministry until Jesus' ascension, and could personally testify as an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Why? In order that he, along with the other 11, could accurately pass on Christ's teaching. Christianity, our faith, is founded on the historical resurrection, and those who first proclaimed the resurrection had to be trustworthy and informed. Study to show yourself approved. How are we doing as witnesses, as agents of, of his mission, as ministers of reconciliation? How trustworthy are we of the message of Jesus Christ through what we do and what we say? And how informed are we of the message of Jesus Christ by the time we invest in what he has already revealed to us? This formal apostolic office in view here that they are having to choose a replacement for is a unique, irreplaceable role limited to those 12 men. They would have no formal successors since no further eyewitnesses of the Lord could arise after they had died. So these early Christians took Christ's command to be engaged in his mission seriously. They acknowledged and they valued the need for such eyewitnesses to the gospel in the days following Jesus' departure. And because they were concerned about the advancement of the gospel, a similar concern which should influence every decision we make. How close is the gospel to the decisions you make? 
whether simple or whether complicated. When we were driving back up from dropping off Natalie, we went to a church service in Toledo, Ohio. It's quite a thing, Holy Toledo. You wake up Sunday morning and you go in Toledo, Ohio. It's crazy. Beautiful church called Calvary. Yep, that's where we went to church. This place had, this church had purchased a cinema complex and it was amazing. We went to the early service at 8.15 in the summer, which is the first of three services that they hold every Sunday morning. But the pastor said something that morning that was so memorable and it fits with what we're studying this morning about God's sovereignty and making decisions. Very simple. He said GPS. We all know what a GPS is. It helps us to guide and to direct us to get where we need to get. So as you're making these decisions, missional decisions, always run it through the filter. What does God have to say about this? And is this going to glorify God? P, how is this going to affect the people around me? Is it going to be a t good testimony to the gospel? Or is this negatively going to affect the people around me? And finally, S, self. Is this decision going to move me closer or further away from Christ? GPS, God, people, self. Run it through the filter. And these people in, the early in this room here that day, they absolutely were all about advancing the gospel. And so the 11 did their homework, gathered all the pertinent information on potential candidates, and put forward the names of two possible men who qualified. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Judas, and Matthias. And what did they do after they gathered all the information? Listed the possible options. I love it. Verse 24, look there. Then they prayed. So important. Then they prayed. I love this quote I read this week. Prayer is both the thermometer and thermostat of the local church. For the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray. I can tell you the temperature here amongst these 120 spiritual temperature was hot because they constantly gathered together to pray. And how did they pray? They prayed with confidence. Pray with confidence. Look at verse 24 and 25. What did they pray with confidence in? Two things. God's omniscience and his sovereignty. God's omniscience. Look at verse 24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know everyone's heart. Jeremiah affirms this in 1 Kings 8.39 when he writes, For you alone know every human heart. God knows our hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. Very familiar chapter of scripture, Psalms 139, the first six verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Pray with confidence when you have to make a decision that he is omniscient. He knows your heart. And pray with confidence in God's sovereignty. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. Listen to this description of the sovereignty of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in all things. And in him all things hold together, including your life and my life. Those in the room that day believed Judah's successor was sovereignly determined by God and they were now asking him through prayer to reveal who he has chosen. They asked Jesus to do from heaven what he once did on earth. Pick a disciple and give them instruction. And so after doing our homework of gathering pertinent information and listing possible options, we must always bring our work before the Lord who is omniscient and who is sovereign and seek his guidance through prayer. And then the most next important spiritual thing to do in the process is roll some dice. Yeah, roll some dice. You might say, Pastor Calvin, you've lost your marbles. No, my dice. No, roll, roll some dice. But that's not how we make decisions. That seems like Vegas. That seems like fate. That seems like chance. You just talked to me about a God who's omniscient and sovereign. Roll dice. What does it say in verse 26? Then they cast lots. What? That may seem very strange to read that. But you need to understand this practice is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament and seven times in the New Testament. The casting of lots was actually a method God permitted his people to use to determine his will in a given situation and was most often used in dividing up land. Yes, God instructed the Israelites on several occasions in the book of Numbers to divide the land based on lots. But in spite of the many references to casting lots, nothing is known about the lots themselves. They could have been different lengths of sticks. They could have been stones that were flattened to kind of like flip a coin. Or they could have been dice. The nature of what the lots were is not known. But here is what is important to know. In Proverbs 16 verse 33, it reads, The lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's every decision is from the Lord. And on this occasion, the lot fell to Matthias. And the disciples understood, based on Scripture, that this was to be his appointment by Christ himself. And so they cast that lot, and the lot fell to Matthias. This was the last time, let me repeat that, the last time scripture recording of casting lots to discern God's will was put into practice. You won't read about it more in the New Testament. The New Testament writers don't exhort the churches to gather all the information, pray, cast the lots. You won't read that. Because shortly after Matthias' appointment, as we're going to celebrate next Sunday, the Spirit came to indwell God's people. The great guide, the great counselor, who helps us and who helped them to make missional decisions that are in line with God's revealed will. The Holy Spirit. Wow. The great guide, 
the raid counselor. We don't need to roll dice anymore. We need to collect the information. We need to list the possibilities. We need to debate that in prayer and then allow the empowerment and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give us the confidence based on his revealed will to make a decision and move forward trusting in God's sovereignty. That's what we're to do. When we understand our role in the ongoing mission of God, have a grasp of his revealed will, gather all the pertinent information in order to narrow down the possibilities, pray to him, we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, move forward, make a decision, trusting in God's sovereignty. Let the mission of God guide our decisions. Then we act by making decisions to the glory of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I close with asking this question. Do you find it difficult to make significant decisions? Is it hard for you to make significant decisions? If so, I was prompted this week in my spirit. I need to then renew my confidence and allegiance to the scriptures where my trust can be built up in my heavenly father and his love for me and his sovereignty over my life. Begin with what he has already revealed. And what is concealed, discern it through what he has already revealed. Our brothers and sisters in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 26, prioritize God's revealed will in the scriptures, which made discovering his concealed will in choosing Judas's replacement relatively simple. And their example of balancing God's sovereignty with our responsibility to make missional decisions can still work for you and I today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus, the living word, and for giving us your written word. And thank you for giving us the privilege of being able to come boldly before your throne in prayer. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you're sovereign over our lives. I just pray that we will become a people who will make decisions, missional decisions, through your word, through prayer, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you've entrusted us with your mission and we want to make wise missional decisions, the simple ones and the big ones. And thank you for helping us through the examples of our brothers and sisters who Luke has recorded for us. Thank you for showing us how we can do that. We love you and we're so thankful that you are sovereign over our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wonder if that 120 when they sat in the room that day, if they thought, I wonder if he's forgotten about us. They knew they were to wait there, but I wonder. The Lord Jesus was no longer with his disciples to give them personal direction, but they were not without the leading of the Lord. For they had the word of God and prayer. In fact, the word of God and prayer formed the foundation of the ministry of the church as we're going to learn in the book of Acts. And next week we will see how everything changed with the arrival of the gift the Father had promised, the great advocate, the guide, and the counselor. They ha that day they had God's word and prayer. In a week, they were going to have God's word, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. So let's rest and not be anxious when we have to make decisions. 
God loves you. He knows your heart and he has provided a way for you to discern his will. Make use of all that he has provided through his word, prayer, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God bless you this week as you live missionally wherever he places you. God bless.